Welcome to Mayor Finish, the official podcast of Great Lakes Stainless, episode 37. This is Paul, Mike, and Travis. And on this episode, we have Juliet and Christy from the Women's Resource Center. Really good podcast, really eye-opening. Uh, they are both survivors of domestic violence, so they know what all the clients are going through. And it allows them to help them out uh, that much more. Uh, the contact information, there's a 24-hour helpline, 1-800-554-4972. Uh, but if you have any questions regarding like how to donate stuff that's not related to you know getting help for anything that's going on in your life, two three one nine four one one two one zero. So uh, give them a call. Uh, and obviously, if there's something going on um, at like right at the moment, call nine one one. You know, get help that way first. Uh, but then, if you're going through something that you want to get help with regarding domestic or sexual violence. Again, 1-800-554-4972. So uh, how was your guys' Labor Day weekend? It's three days of not working. <laughs> That's an accurate description. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a good three-day weekend. <clears throat> and it was your birthday weekend. It was my birthday <clears throat> so weekend. Are you kidding? It was your birthday weekend? Yeah, Happy birthday, Travis. Thanks, guys. Happy 40th. Oh, man. I wasn't sober for a second all the weekend. <laughs> 40th? Did you turn 40? I turned 40 on Saturday. Oh. Big 4-0, Big 4-0. Yep. Farewell to your youth. Welcome, yeah. to, welcome to knee pain and indigestion. <laughs> exactly. I pretty much just gave up on all my hopes and dreams over the weekend and kind of let those go. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Oh, well, you're approaching it with the right attitude. Then. Yeah. yeah. You know? If you haven't done it by now, you're not going to, let's be honest. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Whatever it is, doesn't matter. Yeah. yeah. Oh. So, yeah, yeah. I'm just three weeks behind you, so yes, you are coming up for me. I told my wife, no party. I don't want anything. I don't want a big. I'm just not into no, holidays or celebrations anyway. I like or fun or fun. Yeah, yeah. Fun. that stuff been sucked right out of me. Yeah, yeah. Done. Well, you have children, All right? So and one day it'll be rewarding. I'm hoping. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, first day of school and stuff's so always stressful on them and. My daughter wants mm-hmm. a cat, and I'm allergic, so the answer is no. So you're gonna get the medication, allergy <laughs> meds. <laughs> Don't yeah, I'm gonna get shots every week instead of telling her no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like how allergic are you? Like just kind of your eyes itchy and. Uh, well, ten minutes, I have trouble really. breathing. So kind of allergic. Yeah. 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 Obviously, you've never been what killed if you by a cat. No. What if they just? What if she just keeps it in her room? You had a cat in the basement for a while. We have two cats in the basement, yeah. So I'm changing out furnace filters pretty frequently, and that keeps it all right. You have two cats in the basement already? Yeah. yeah. Well, they're Shelby and Josh's, so, but they're going to be taking them pretty soon. They're moving on Thursday, Thursday right? But the people they're going to be staying with in Wisconsin initially are actually coming to visit us. It's my brother and sister-in-law, like the middle of the month, and they're probably going to take the cats back with them at that point because they've already found like four places that we're going to look at and... You know, nice. try to move in here pretty quick, and yeah, and the cost of living over there is so much less than it is here. Car insurance is half. They found uh, it's like a two-story, two or three-bedroom house with like a wicked cool back porch, like all built up with like a pergola and, and like fencing for eight hundred a month. It's pretty cheap. Yeah, I mean, what King's Court is over a grand. Is it really? A month. Yeah, because it's like six hundred. That's where Josh used to live. It's like six hundred bucks a month just for the lot fee, and then another <coughs> six hundred for the trailer. Yeah, right? that's not right. And then we were just downtown over the weekend, and where the heck was it? Um, like, kind of behind—is it 
west or east of the warehouse district a little bit, they're building some massive, big, long building. They just got to like the sheathing and the roof up at this point, but it's probably going to be like high priced condos and oh, it'll be affordable housing. Oh, it's starting sure. out at twelve hundred a month <laughs> for a loft. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So no, they're looking forward to it. They both got jobs lined up already. Um, so it should be definitely a plus for them, I think. Any chance of you and the missus <clears throat> moving out there eventually? Oh, they've had, they've asked us. You know, they wanted us to go out there. And it's like, I mean, at this point, I got 12 or 11 and a half acres I'm looking to develop into something. And you're almost... I hear you can really cash flow a trailer park. Yeah. Yes. Cool. You just put a trailer park right there. Yes. There you go. Mm-hmm. You, know, I'm you, know what they, you know what they say about zoning and permitting? It's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. Exactly. Well, it's funny. <laughs> when... When um, I was first calling around to see about putting a goat farm there, I called. The I mean, goat show. farms pretty lucrative too. <clears throat> that's goat farm. Uh, what I hear. Pretty when, lucrative. When the cheese that we're looking at making is going for sixteen bucks a pound in the stores and like low twenties at farmers markets, yeah, that's, that's amazing. Four ounces of cheese per goat per month. No, <laughs> a lot more. I've done. I've ran the numbers. It's like it's sick. Yeah, I'm, I'm not gonna say anymore. I don't want anybody else. What kind of goats? Move, is that Paul? Moving, 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 moving in on your sweet, sweet goat <laughs> oh, cheese yeah. action. Yeah, non-existent farm at this point. And you're right, man. I'm gonna be forty in three weeks. I better do it now, or, now or never. Yeah, uh-huh. like you I got say, three weeks. Once you turn 40, you might as well not even think, consider moving out there because, I mean, you once you turn 40, wherever you're at, that's where you're going to die. <laughs> that's where you're going to die. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. yeah but, uh, no, I called the zoning for our township. I was like, yeah, I'm just checking up. I want to make sure that if I do this, it's, it's okay. And she's like, actually, there's really no zoning at all right now. I'm like, what? Yeah. Do you want to be on the zoning committee? <laughs> what? Like, yeah, we don't sure. Really... Can I zone my property for any use yeah. ever? Yeah. <laughs> so, so, can I put a nuclear plant? Yeah, it's yeah. so funny. Property? That was the next thing out of my <laughs> mouth. Was it? Nuclear reactor? <laughs> yeah. The... yeah. I was like, okay. It's like, well, give me, give me some time to think about it, I guess. But it's like, SpaceX sure. North launch site. <laughs> I still can't believe that I met that guy. That, uh, what was his name? TJ's roommate? Yeah. Uh, Prina? Maro? Prina? Maro. Yeah. That was a nice nuts. guy. Yeah. All because he saw the background on my monitor. Oh, yeah. Of the right? Fal- the, uh, Falcon Heavy launching. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Oh, that was really cool. He's, he's like, oh, yeah. And then that class comes down. And yeah. I, I, I built that. What? Now, the coolest thing he was talking about is like, you know, you picture the flames like shooting down. But it, he said, you know, once you get up. <laughs> High enough in the atmosphere, the flames are just, even though the thing's going around, the flames are actually coming up and wrapping around the... Oh, okay. Yeah, it's like the bottom third of the rocket's actually covered in flame when hmm. you get up to the point where there's not so much atmospheric pressure. Right. So they actually have to, because he's like the head of thermodynamics for SpaceX, mm-hmm. something like... Yeah, uh, director, of, director of thermal director, engineering. Yeah, that's it. <clears throat> they said, so they actually, the bottom third of the rocket has to be covered in heat shielding. It's not just around the nozzle. Oh, like okay. That. Or the cone, nose cone, because that's right. the heat shielding for yeah. the entry. For, yeah. yeah, just keep talking. That's the only, that's the only heat shielding I thought there was, but 
Well, he didn't like. He didn't even mention that what he did. No, no, I worked to help design those, and I was like, I'm gonna look this guy up. I go on LinkedIn. It's like, oh my, (laughs) (laughs) director of thermal engineering for SpaceX. Yeah, you just you help design them. Okay. Yeah. God. Yeah, he's he was he's working on right now setting up like a a factory in Florida to um, build all the heat shields for the next few years. All the tiles, ceramic tiles, doing. So he's looking into, so he, you know, so our CNC, because he's looking at some five-axis, um, you know, CNCs. Okay. For machining the ceramics, and he's doing all the tooling testing and everything like that now. Wow. So I'm going to make goat cheese change the world. Well, that's cool. Yeah, change make the goat world cheese. one curd at a time. Oh, that's that? it. Where's the patent? Change the world one curd <laughs> at a time. That's my slogan. <laughs> no, it's not. Isn't isn't that what isn't that what they're trying to do in northern Iran right now? Yeah. Change the world well, one at a time. <laughs> wow. That's one of the best ethnic like, cleansing jokes that you've ever yeah. heard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice job, Mike. With the genocide puns. Nice. Oh, man. Oh. So when you start this goat farm and start making cheese. No, is it a requirement that you have to start wearing the suspenders and grow the old timey mustache? No, but I'm gonna I was, do it I anyway. Was, I was at a local farmer's market. I won't say where, and there was a, a cheese vendor there who made really, really good cheese. Oh, sure. But it was the old timey mustache, the suspenders. Um, I got a friend who could probably help you out with a mustache. Yeah, yeah, Dario? you do. Yeah, Dario could help you with a mustache because yeah. he's got a. He's nice. He looks like looks like Gary Fisher, man. No, Dario was in here that day, and I, I saw his mustache as he was walking out. And I told him, like, "I'm like, have you talked to him about that yet? Does he know? <laughs> Does he know it's like that? It's actually pretty nice. Oh yeah, yeah. A lot of work in there involved. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I got a. I'm definitely gonna have to get a cowboy hat of some kind. Boots. Cowboy hat. Yeah. For goats. Yeah. To farm. I figure if you goats, you're just gonna get the old wooden stick and like and the cloak. Oh, and a just, robe. Yeah. Hmm. Grow beard. All right. I'm Shepherd Paul. <laughs> I'm going to have, uh, I'm just going to put like a really super bright spotlight over the, the goat barn. Yeah. Just see what happens every Christmas. <laughs> show up. No frankincense or myrrh again no, this year. Come on. Hang it. Uh, myrrh? Any gin? <laughs> <laughs> so what's the process for making goat cheese? I mean, you get the... They get you collect the goat milk. Yeah, actually, Michigan is super, super strict about dairy. Because um, traditionally, this cheese is made with raw milk. But it's got, there's so many rules. Like in California, you can buy raw milk on the grocery stores on the show. Of course you can. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's right next to the sound-infused kombucha. <laughs> right? <laughs> Vortex water. God. Anyway. Um, as long as it's labeled raw... Whatever. You, you can grab raw water there too, don't you? Yes. Like the, you can the untreated, un- <laughs> yeah. like raw yeah. water. Yeah. 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 Like, I still can't believe it. Mud puddle water. Yeah. Mud puddle water. No, that's what it is. Yeah. Really? Just. Yeah. I don't don't leave it in the sun. There's some yeah. shit's, shit's we scoop in there. We, we scoop this right out of the ponds of the golf courses. <laughs> oh, God. People, 60 bucks a gallon or what yeah. was it? Anyway, we, we, dig- we digress. Yeah. Hippies. So what you have to pass get the goat milk pasteurized then? Yeah, we haven't done that yet because I want to see how it affects yield and flavor. Um, I have done it. I've made it with pasteurized goat's milk. I'm sorry, pasteurized cow's milk and raw goat's milk, and the yield is pretty much the same. 
So, and goat milk has a higher fat content than cow, so it's looking like um, it won't affect the yield. And I don't think it'll affect the flavor. I mean, really, because there's like five different levels of pasteurization in a house to do with temperature and time. So, hmm. and basically, just you heat it up to a certain point. And when it solidifies, you pull the curd out, press it, and uh, then with this cheese, you have to poach it after that. And then what that does is it does something with the, the proteins. It binds them together. So actually, after it's all done, you can cut it in like slices and fry it, and it won't melt. It just browns. Hmm. And now your daughter and your wife's family live in like the land of cheese. Wisconsin. Yeah. You could just, man, that'd just be a big old, oh yeah, you're going to move to Wisconsin? Guess who's going to start making cheese? That's right. Guess who's going into <laughs> cheese production? Right here. Yeah. Good old Traverse City. That's right. You want cheese? Come home and get it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sending you shit. That's right. <laughs> you make the trip. You can drive. Yeah. You got a hybrid. <laughs> so, yeah, it's uh, got a little bit of debt to pay off first because I don't want to start a business in debt. That's the American way, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just plastic. Charge it. Don't care what it is. A great go, leader go, go, has go, done go. that several times. It's true. Uh-huh. Is that all I have to do? Declare bankruptcy and just kind of wipe it off the books, start over, do yep. it again and again? Yep. Look for some investors. Could I be president if I do that enough times? I'm not saying you couldn't. You're going to be president of the Carlin Goat Cheese Company. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Oh. I still think you're... Tug Life Creamer is the best name. Oh, oh, no. Yep, no. Oh. Yep. <clears throat> I think that is the best name for Tug Life I don't, Creamer. I don't remember how I came up with that, but I'm like, <sighs> yes. That's what it's going to be called. you got to open a store in Leland. <laughs> Tug Life. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I can see the, just like the, the logo is going to be a goat with sunglasses and like a gold chain around his neck. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. With a black hoodie and like a blue shirt. Yeah. Yeah. Life. <laughs> Still shirts and hats. Yeah. Do people would buy those? Yeah. Merchandise with Tug Life Creamery. Merchandising. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Merchandising. Merchandising. That's one of my favorite movies of all time. Oh, it's really good. My favorite line of the whole thing is, what's the matter, Colonel Sanders? Chicken? <laughs> I still... See? It's, what's that from? Spaceballs. Spaceballs. Oh, holy shit. Dude, it's still... It's like, it's the dumbest joke, but I laugh every single time. <laughs> like, I'll silence the room if that's coming up. I'm like, everybody, shut up! Oh, what's the matter, Colonel Sanders? <laughs> Chicken? And he just sells it. Rick Moranis just... Oh. That's half of it is the delivery. Oh, yeah. And then the other guy, I don't remember the, the actor's name, but he just gets offended because he's calling him out. Yeah. Oh, God. It's amazing. So. All right. Well, uh, do we have any jobs on the website under the careers tab? I don't know if we're... I don't know. We're always looking for uh, welders. I know we're... Um, I know we were. I believe we're still looking for uh, some of the work in the patina painting area. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Help so Dwayne out. Oh, yeah. Yep. He's, yeah, we need some more resources there. Yeah, he's pretty swamped. Just that demand is surging. As well as welders that can handle copper, brass, bronze, brazing, things like that. Mm-hmm. Dude, it still blows me away that, I mean, we brazed copper for years and years. Mm-hmm. But welding copper, it seems, I don't know. I just, I'm, obviously I've never done it. I just brazed it. But it seems like w- welding is 
beyond copper. Like uh, the low temperatures that copper melts at and the way it conducts the heat. Yeah. You just have to use really low amps? Is that how yeah. that works? Okay. Yeah, it's much lower amps. And what does Zach find? Running on AC? Oh. Running with like aluminum? Mm hmm. Oh. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure you got to use heat sinks and stuff like you would with aluminum. Oh, yeah. Them. Okay. Yeah. Keep it from warping. Yep. Use heat sinks and, man, his copper welding is. Oh, yeah, he's so good. Looking really good. I remember a while a while back when we first started doing all that brass and he had to weld something together, I think, for Rick, some sample. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I walked by that, I'm like, dude, we need to put this on the website. He's like, no, 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 this, this weld looks like trash. It's like, Zach, yeah, dude. He did, he did some brass, this curve thing. Yeah, yeah. Those, those things look great. Yeah. yeah, I'm like, man. It's like, no, dude, this looks amazing. It's like, I'm not a, I'm not a welder, but I know a good welder. I see one, and yeah, it looks so good. Like, no, 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 I'll put that on the website. I'll, I'll, I'll do another one for you if you want to put it on the website. Okay. Yeah. I think you ended up, did you? That was, that was a while ago. It was like six months. I probably did. Yeah. yeah. Man, that's that's some cool looking stuff. Yeah. There for sure. So, yeah. Talented welders, finishers. Always yeah. After those. And patina and painting. Yep. If you got any experience in that or want to learn, mm-hmm. like, yeah, we'll teach you. That's right. You know, for sure. Dwayne's been doing it for a while now. So I've, I've been dabbling into the painting at home, fixing rust spots on the cars. Jesus, that's a that's such a learning curve. I've done a couple spots like three or four times over. Just it's like, well, try this now. Well, try this now. And, mm-hmm. I mean, to be fair, I sh- probably should have read a book or something on it first. <laughs> How hard can it be? What? Book's it easy. Be? Dwayne does it. Yeah. <laughs> so I just basically, I watched one 20-minute video. And then like way back when I graduated college... Um, I worked for a month at, with a guy that did body work. So that, oh, that's so you've got training. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, experience. That kind of ties into the uh, episode subject because that guy was fucking crazy. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. yeah. And, like, uh, one day his his wife came down to the... Sh- he, he worked right in his garage right by his house. So one day his wife came in and she had, like, a brace on her leg. And she quote fell down, down the, the stairs. stairs. The stairs are dangerous, man. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah. I'm doors house running them. into those doors. Yeah, I'm a whole, house, no stairs, no doorknobs. And yep. uh, she was making a run to uh, Thoroughby, whatever. And he'd given her a list, and she's like, "Okay, you know, what else do you need off? Do you need anything else off this list before I go?" And he just screams at her, <laughs> "I only want what I asked for." I'm just like, "Dude, I'm calling the cops." This guy is out of control. And, like, his, uh, he had two kids, and, like, the daughter got a, a suspicious broken arm at one point. Oh, man. And, like, the, the wife actually did my ex-mother-in-law's hair, I think, at, like, JCPenney. And it was, like, known. So I'm, like, I'm, I'm out of here. I was like, buddy, you're out of control. Uh, that's too bad. Yeah. So I, I don't know what happened to him, but I hope something. hope she yeah. called the Women's Resource Center. Yeah. That's exactly the kind of case. Someone's treating you like that, man. Screw that guy. Yeah, that's bullshit. So, I mean, looking back, I I could I should have reported him. Absolutely should have, and I regret that. You know, but that guy was out of control. So yeah, I was only there a month because like I, I'm not. And he lied to me because when I first met him, like the summer before, he said, "No, no, no, it's a hot rod shop." He just did body work for dealerships. 
Hot Rod Shop. Because he had, at the time, he had a couple Hot Rods in here he was working on. 1998 Corolla? Yep, that's a V6 in it. Got the original rims. This baby pumps about 130 horsepower. 130 horsepower. It's a quarter mile in about 18 seconds. I thought about throwing glass packs on it, but, uh, you know, don't want to alert Johnny Law too much. (laughs) Brown Corolla. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Uh, when I'm, uh, and then later when I was working for him, he's like, oh, man, we got a hot rod in today. Check it out. It was like a Fiero kit car. I'm like, dude, this is not a hot rod. Yeah. Yours are fast. Engines in the back. Maneuverable. Yeah. I did know a guy in Virginia. His nickname was Fiero Jim because all he did was engine conversions into Fiero. Uh-huh. Fieros. He put like Cadillac Northstar V8s. Oh no! Yeah, you could get probably you could be like accessory to murder <laughs> if you put a Northstar V8 into a Fiero and somebody hit something. Yeah, yeah, like a large bumblebee. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that was. Oh, well, apparently it was an oversized bumblebee crumpled the front end. <laughs> he did. He he was good at what he did because they looked like factory installs. No. But he did that with like small V8s because I guess uh, physically that was a small engine, even though it was a V8. But like the that and like the four liter V8s that Ford uh, mm-hmm. put in like the Explorers and like the some of the low end Jaguars. They Ford. put four liter V8s. Yeah, I know they had a four yeah, liter V6, V6 as yeah. well, but they did have small V8s. Hmm. Uh, Ford did too. So just any small V8, anything that would fit, he would put in there. Once in college, and I think it was just a stock Pontiac Fiero, but. Me and the guy who was driving made it from uh, Traverse City to Grand Rapids an hour and 40 minutes. Holy crap. That's just that's just a dangerous drive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially in that car. It's going pretty damn fast. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if a 5.0 would fit in those. I don't know. They're small cars. Yeah. Yes, so small I can't cars. believe you get any sort of V8 in there. Yeah. Oh, if you go online, you see all kinds of crazy shit. People, like, extending the frames to put big block Chevys in there. So, <laughs> yeah, it's like... Oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Engine weighs more than the rest of the car. Yeah. I want, a, I, want a, I want a stretch limo that's based on a Pontiac Fiero. <laughs> Six doors. Still going to be like 12 feet long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh. Couldn't get out of its own way. <laughs> I'm sure it's been done. Yeah. I'm sure it has. I've seen. Um, oh, you, you're right. You got a yep. cramp? Yep. Cramping. Oh, no. Sorry. You remember that footage of uh, Nadal after one of the big tournaments? I don't think so. I don't know what it was, but he's doing the post-match interview, and he just slowly like starts sinking, and everyone's like, are you okay? And he's getting a cramp in his leg, and he just slowly just sinks out of view under the table. <laughs> <laughs> All the reporters are like, what just happened? <laughs> he's just under the table, like holding his leg. Like, he's oh, like, it's awesome. I'll be all right. Like, are you sure? Anyway, the U.S. Open's going on right now. Oh, yeah? Anyway. <laughs> Apparently Paul's the only tennis fan. I guess. <laughs> Brad and Yarrow are big tennis fans, I guess. They both play. With a name like Yarrow, if he's not a tennis fan, I'd be a little disappointed. <laughs> Kidding, I like Yarrow. Yeah, I like him too. He's a good guy. I asked him about his name. <laughs> I like him. Normally I don't like tennis fans, but I do. No, he's, 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 yeah, he's right. not bad for a tennis fan. <laughs> <laughs> I asked him about his name actually, and I guess it's there's a, a flower from that was imported to the U.S. from Europe called Yarrow, or Yarrow, but it ends with a W. 
<laughs> but I guess his mom named him after that and just chopped the W off. So it's just Y A R O. That's the old, <laughs> that's where it comes from, I guess. More interesting than our names. Yeah. Yes. Name Yarrow Ireland is a thousand percent cooler yeah. than yeah. Mike DeBrian. Yeah. So. He's either like an MMA fighter or what else is that name? Soccer player. Soccer player. That's good. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. That fits. Yeah. yeah. Or it could be a mountain biker. Well, he is a mountain biker. I know. Okay. Yeah. That's <laughs> hence the suggestion. I get what you're throwing down. Okay. Picking it up. Got it. Sure. Okay. It was nice to hear from uh, Travis in the intro, so you won't hear much from him in the <clears throat> podcast at all. No. Since it was a serious subject, no, and, uh, we, yeah. and Paul and I, um, per our mutual agreement, duct tape his mouth shut before the uh, podcast. Yeah, you we know. Just, yes. Really, this, you didn't uh, want me talking. You yeah. didn't want to hear right. anything I had to say in this podcast. Not that, no, I mean, not that I disagreed with anything they had to say, and I think it's a great cause, but... I am not mature enough to have a serious conversation <laughs> like that. I'm no, just uh, yeah, because I, obviously when we interview just employees and stuff, I mean, if long-time listeners will know, I got that out with a straight face, long-time listeners. <laughs> yeah, well, I uh, know that we're just a bunch of smartasses, you know, and the, that's our kind of humor, and that's what we like, and obviously with a subject like this, you, you don't do that. And uh, so, yeah, Travis was relatively quiet. It's okay. I nodded in agreement several times. You did. I you gave kind of like the, uh, the amens and the you know the praise Jesus is in the background. Yep. Mm-hmm. 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 Preach. Preach. Um, so no, yeah, that, that's fine. It was uh, it's a heavy heavy subject for sure. You know, kind of like the some of the big brothers, big sisters. Yeah. Parts of that. I don't uh, want to take away goodwill, from, take away know. from that. You know. What no, I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So no, that's fine. With childish humor, 12, 12, 12 year old humor. And that's know? what it is. We're just children. Yeah. Really, that's all we are. Yeah. Just dick and fart jokes. That's what makes us laugh. Well, you're the only child now. It's, yeah, that's we're true. 40, we're 40 plus. Guys, yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. Give me three weeks. Yeah. yeah. I still don't think I'd be able to handle that podcast until I were 50. Okay. 50 is a new 40, man. Is it? Actually, no. I think, was it last year? For the first time, life expectancy in the U.S. went down. Really? Did you hear about the kid who went blind for meat and yes. white bread, Pringles, and yes. French fries? in England. Yeah. Since I heard it was Arby's French fries. Okay. We're going to start this conversation? <laughs> All right. <laughs> no, well, I didn't hear that. But I did see that article. I didn't read it. I just read the headline. I'm like, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. So he, the rest of the article pretty much just explains the headline okay. that he went blind from eating yeah. white bread. Uh, Pringles. Constant Pringles. starch in his diet. And yeah, it, really nothing else. Turns yeah. out uh, that doesn't have all the nutrients you need. Huh. Mm, imagine that. Yeah, didn't he it's just say he was like a super picky eater or something like that? Mm-hmm. And since he it's like, since he was a toddler or something, since he was four, and now he's, what, mid-teens or something? 17? 17 when he finally went blind. Yeah. yeah, they called it like a nutritional optic something, basically. Neuropathy. Yeah, his, his optic nerve just degenerated because of the lack of... The correct nutrition. Vitamins. Yeah. You know, proteins. B12, selenium, copper. Where was his freaking parents and all this? Just going to let him do that? At the store buying him white bread. Yeah. yeah good point. Just facilitating just, just it. Leech, just leech the vitamins and <laughs> stuff right out of you. Yeah. Folks at Wonder Bread, give him some sunglasses. Put them on the bread bags. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> Worst marketing idea ever. Yeah, it is. <laughs> See this kid? He's blind. Oh, I already use it in my kids. I'm like, don't eat to, to quit eating white bread. You go blind. Yeah, exactly. Don't eat the Pringles? Yeah. I get blind. I'm calling it that white going bread. blind thing. Calling it white bread. Nobody ever believes that. 
You missed that? What's that? So we're calling it eat white bread, you're going to go blind. Now we're calling it white bread. Now. <laughs> okay, I was, I was going along the same thing, you know. <laughs> that whole thing. If you do that, you'll go blind. Oh, no, that's yeah. a total myth. <laughs> now, I can read a paper from across the room. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I did poll some people. And apparently I'm sitting in a room with the only two people I know that don't like Arby's. Who did you poll? People. That were eating at Arby's with yeah. us. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you so, need to find a higher class of friends, Paul. I don't know, man. You're probably right. Are we friends? We were. <laughs> like I said. <laughs> so, no, yeah, we actually heard, remember Kevin? That yeah. used to work here in yeah. Alaska. He he wrote in and uh, said that there's Arby's all over the place and really super popular up there. And what was? Uh, He's in Alaska. Well, so <laughs> all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, one average. If the uh, <laughs> one in you know. <laughs> yeah, but if you cut Alaska in half, it would still be the two biggest states. Yeah. So, all over Alaska. All over Arby's. Alaska. Arby's. Mm. Biggest state we'll start with A. I mean, it makes yeah. sense. Yeah. All right. Yeah. yeah. We probably talked the Arby's thing to death, haven't we? It's a point of contention, Paul. It is. It is. I remember you were talking about the fake cheese, yet you have a Diet Coke on your desk. No fake cheese in Diet Coke. Nope. <laughs> yeah, last I saw, I didn't see fake cheese on no. the ingredient label. Okay. Let me check. Though. Well, you never know. Just the usual artificial sweeteners. Artificial sweeteners. Artificial colors. Always flavors. Always vague natural flavors. Mm-hmm. Was it the water? I mean, what's well, right in? If you have an opinion on Arby's, yeah, right in. If you feel that Paul's a bit of a hypocrite, you know, being a cheese connoisseur like himself and really liking the fake cheese. Yeah, I'm keeping an open mind. I accept all kinds of cheese, regardless of color or origin. Okay. Right. Not in my house. Not in my backyard. If you do want to write in, uh, mirror finish at greatlakestainless.com. And also go to the website, greatlakestainless.com. Go to the news tab, and you'll find all the podcasts there, along with our Instagram feed. Uh, And don't forget our Facebook page, unless I already said that. I don't think so. No? Okay. Don't forget our Facebook page. And really important, uh, subscribe to the podcast, rate and review it. It helps uh, boost us up in the rankings. Um, so, unless you guys have anything else? Nada. All right. Eat at Arby's, and here is episode 37 with Juliet and Christy from the Women's Resource Center. <laughs> Had to put that in. <laughs> Hi, I'm Juliet. Hi, Juliet. Hi. Nice to meet you. Hi, Travis. This is Christy. Nice to meet you. Hi, Christy. Mike. Nice, nice to meet you. Oh. Are you sitting here? I usually do sit by okay. the laptop. Yeah, no, it'll be uncomfortable the whole time Perfect. if you sit in a seat. Yeah, no like, problem. You know, I just don't want to. Sitting in the wrong pew in church. Yeah, just well, is, I don't need that. Hard to, hard to think you're going to heaven if you're not sitting in the right place. <laughs> Whoever took your seat sure isn't. <laughs> well, thanks for doing this, guys. <laughs> yeah, thanks for coming. This is great. I just sent Paul a little bit of information because I thought maybe you guys would want to have that, so he's got it to distribute after the fact. Here's a card. Thank you. All right. Here we go. Thank you. Yeah. People know not to.
Yes. Barge in or knock Don't or whatever. Don't bug those two so. gentlemen that were working very hard. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> All right. Thanks for coming. Um, I guess we can start if you guys want to introduce yourselves and talk about the mission of Women's Resource Center. Okay. I'm Juliette Schultz, and I'm the executive director at the WRC. And the mission at the WRC is to protect, shelter, and empower people impacted by domestic and sexual violence. Okay. And I'm Christy Cogswell-Betcher. I'm the Director of Advocacy. And uh, me personally, I'm in charge of uh, operating that mission. So running our shelter program, the main office advocates that have been meet with non-residential clients, and our SANE program that meets with sexual assault victims at Munson. Okay. So how long have you two been there? I've been there since 2013. And okay. prior to that, I was on the Board of Directors. Oh, okay. Okay. And I am coming up on my one-year anniversary, believe it or not. It's gone quick. But uh, prior to that, I was with a very similar program down in South Carolina since 2006. Oh, okay. So is that how you, how did you come to uh, this area then? Was it through that similar type of work? Uh, actually, no. This is my husband's hometown. Oh, all right. And we, uh, we had a baby, and this seemed like the, the place to raise our baby. So we got nice back place. up here, and uh, it was really, really lucky. I had just gotten here. My house is still in boxes. And I'm like, well, let me just see what kind of what's in my field. I did not think I was going to find another domestic violence job because it's very niche. <laughs> and so I just happened to see this job listing that was about to close. I think there was like two days left on yep. it. So I hurried up and emailed, and you know, is the position still available, and sent my resume, and Juliet got back to me and was like, oh, yes. <laughs> I'm sure it's hard to find people, you know, as much as it is, you know, to find an open position, it's just as hard to find people, too. Yeah, it's really, um, to find somebody with the kind of experience that Christy had is pretty unique. Mm -hmm. This is a very niche field. There are 58 um, organizations like us in the state of Michigan. So we're one of 58. We're all part of a coalition. Um, so we can always recruit from other agencies, but this is a very specific um, sort of training. Okay. And so you're either sort of in the work, doing the work, um, or you may go to school and get a sort of like an add-on class that you may learn a little bit about domestic violence, or we have a lot of interns that come to us. Okay. So they might spend their internship at the WRC providing direct clients service, you know, service to survivors, um, and that gets them a lot of experience too. But for the most part, there's not a degree in domestic violence okay. and sexual assault services. I was going to ask, what kind of training or schooling is, I guess, ideal for people in this field? Well, um, for me personally, I have a, a master's in clinical psychology. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So I trained as a therapist. A lot of our advocates have a background in social work. Sure. Uh, we've got one criminal justice, actually a former police officer. Mm. Um, we've got one uh, retired nurse, but those are kind of outliers, usually social work. Um, you know, for me personally, I started as a volunteer way back when, and I just really enjoyed the work, found it was something that I was good at, and uh, that's what motivated me to make my grad school application and go through three years of grad school. So... Um, so I guess with the, with the police officer and the nurse, what have you found that their prior professions have brought to this field? Um, so with our former uh, police officer, he's actually a former police chief, 
Oh. And he is great at anything legal, uh, writing PPOs, sure, appealing sense. PPOs, uh, reading what does the statute in Michigan actually say as it pertains to domestic violence. Um, and whenever we run into a problem with that, that's the first part. Like, hey, Carl, <laughs> come mm-hmm. look at this with me and mm-hmm. explain it to me. So that's been really great. And one of the things I appreciate up here is that we have such a good relationship with our local law enforcement. They've been very supportive of our mission. That's a new thing for me. Uh, Where I came from, I had a very adversarial relationship with law enforcement. Yes. That's unfortunate. It it was. It was frustrating, um, especially because I feel like we share the same goal. Yeah. We want to protect victims of domestic and sexual violence. So here, um, you know, it's been very nice that having a, that good working relationship with local law enforcement. Um, with our other staff member that came from a, a different field, uh, the former nurse, she's just got such a great, caring, mm. sort of nurse way of meeting with the clients. Okay. Um, and I think they really appreciate that. So are you from South Carolina? No, I'm actually from downstate. So oh, okay. I guess I'm a southerner compared to everyone up <laughs> sure. here, but not yeah, not that far. Okay. How'd you like it down there? I liked it. Um, I thought I was going to stay there for life, and then, you know, having a kid kind of changes your perspective oh, on what's yeah. important. Huh. Um, yeah, I, I understand that. Charleston, which was a, a tourist town mm-hmm. that was mm-hmm. starting to blow up and housing costs got insane. Um, and then you also had the threat of uh, hurricanes and chronic flooding to keep you on your toes. Sure. So. Good shrimp and grits, though, right? Oh, amazing. <laughs> amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm from Southeast Virginia, so you know yeah. I'm, I miss the seafood. And, but yeah, the, oh yeah, no, yeah. But the, yeah, the hurricanes and actually the area that the, there's a big naval base in the area that that I'm from, and uh, yeah, they're getting they call them I think king tides where mm-hmm. it floods. Just because it's high tide, mm-hmm. not because there's a storm or anything, and the director of the base is like, just ringing the bell and just super upset that we're not doing anything. Mm-hmm. Essentially, he's like, my base is going to be underwater mm-hmm. in 20 years. Yeah. So, anyway, um, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that's uh, I've never been to, to South Carolina, but you know, I do like the area, and I do I do miss it. Hurricanes, I can do without though. That's fine. Yeah, amen to that. So, what brought you to the Women's Resource Center? Um, well, I've been, I've been here since 1999. We moved up here intentionally as well. I'm a native of Michigan, and um, I'm a survivor, and I had sort of circled around the Women's Resource Center a little bit. I was very interested in the mission, but I wasn't really ready to take it on. I'd been involved in a lot of boards. I was on the Chamber of Commerce board and um, lots of boards locally and given back a lot of um, time and resources and um just really supported organizations, you know, that I cared about. But I wasn't quite ready to step into that conversation. Mm-hmm. I got a call, so I had repeated calls from people who were on the board, and I was like, ah, I'm not really ready. And at one point I got a call from um, a couple of board members, Ed Carlson, who's the former chief financial officer at Munson, oh. and Jean Howard, who is an activist and um, has been a, a social activist for a really long time, and they asked me to go to lunch. And that, that's always the key, right? When somebody's on a board or they're on an executive committee, you want to go to lunch? You know? go to lunch it's no. like code for, it's code for, you know, we uh, want you on the board. Yeah, you know? exactly. And so I, I went to lunch with them and I, uh, I heard what they wanted to invite me onto the board. And I had a lot of questions about the board. I mean, I was a little tentative about it because 
Um, I'm a board member that likes to get involved. I want to get my hands dirty if I can, meaning I want to help the organization in some way. Okay. You know, using my either connections to people or uh, my own talents to help the organization. And I wanted to be certain it was a good fit for me at that point in time in my life. And it was. I okay. said yes, good. and I jumped on. And um, within a few months, I'd say a six-month period of time, the former director retired, and I got another call. And it was another would lunch. You, would you? It was just a call at <laughs> yeah. night. This was oh, at okay. night, so okay. it was not another lunch. Um, but a follow-up lunch happened. So anyway, um, they asked me if I would step in as the interim executive director, and oh. I felt like that was a real high, higher calling for me with my background as both a sexual assault survivor and a child of domestic violence. Um, so I really couldn't say no to that. I needed to step into that space and um, I knew I knew a lot of really smart people and I knew I could help the agency sort of move in a, maybe a different direction. It was a mature organization, 40 years old. Mm. Um, we were pretty, uh, we had a lot of mission drift going on when I stepped in and a lot of transition needed to happen. and so. Anyway, I stepped in and um, then I had to apply for the job mm. and I had to compete for it and um, ultimately they offered me the position, okay. which was a real blessing to me. I've been absolutely humbled. Every day I walk in, I feel humbled to be doing the work I'm doing because I get to take care of people and um, who, really need, who really need us. Sure. So you know, for me, it's really about um, answering the call. And what I find in the community, people know me in the community, but when I introduce myself to people, I never say I'm the director. It's so rare for me. I know you asked me to do that this morning, but it's really rare. And within about five minutes, people usually ask me, well, what do you do over there? Okay. And it's like, you know, I get to work with 45 people who are in support of this amazing mission to help survivors. And um, our mission is to help people impacted by domestic and sexual violence. So we see male survivors. Last year we oh. had twice as many men oh, really? come for services than we did the year before. And that's sort of a nature of you know the word getting out there yeah. and the sort of national movement and yeah. uh, men being aware that we're there for them too. Um, we have an emergency shelter for women and kids. We, um, so a woman who's fleeing a violent situation is welcomed in as a guest at the shelter. Um, men, male survivors would be provided alternative housing. We've provided hotel vouchers. Um, we've done first and last month's rent for an apartment. So, um, you know, there's a theory or a sort of frame of thinking that we are only taking care of women. We do help men. Um, however, predominantly women are survivors of domestic and sexual violence. So and it's typically perpetrated by men. Sure. Well, yeah, I can imagine the, the stigma for a man uh, you know, in this culture is, is certainly, they're not going to come forward uh, as easily. There's definitely that. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's good to hear that that's starting to change. And you've noticed that there's an increasing trend over recent years that more men are coming out and being like, hey, I need help too. Definitely. Okay. I had, you know, I had a business <clears throat> owner um, here locally who approached me about four or five years ago. It was I was very new to the position, and he said, you know, I've got a staff member who is struggling with some violence um, with the roommate that he's living with okay. and can you help him and I was like absolutely you know send them in we can help them um, we have sexual assault survivors who are male who want to um, proceed with an exam at Munson and so we respond to those we're on a 24-hour response okay. for anybody who wants to go to Munson 
and get an exam after they were assaulted, which is a, about a four to six hour ordeal. Oh, wow. Um, it's a pretty, if somebody makes that decision, it's intentional. Uh, the commitment is um, four to six hours, yeah. It is, a, and it's just, a, you know, it's a very traumatic sure. experience. So, sure. well, yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because the one question that I was going to ask was, what are some warning signs? You know, like for that employer, how did he know? And, and what's something that people should look out for in general? I think uh, from an employer's perspective, something you might notice is a formerly very reliable employee is all of a sudden missing a lot of work, coming in late, you know, lots of kind of vague illnesses. Um, you know, you may see the quality of their work suffering. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of time employers jump to, okay, let's just talk about the work and say, yeah. hey, you know, what's going on? Is sure. something going on at home? Um, you know, you may see a lot of unexplained injuries or, you know, kind of the, the cliche, oh, I ran into a door again. Okay. Yep. Uh, that type of thing. Um, you may notice that this person uh, is constantly having to answer their phone because their significant other will call and text okay. repeatedly and they get very angry if their partner doesn't like immediately answer. Okay. Start accusing them of infidelity. Um, you know, there's definitely probably somebody that's going to notice oh, something's not right with that situation. Because, you know, when you work closely with people for enough time, you get to know about their families. Sure. You know, there's pictures of their kids and what you do last weekend, and, and you'll pick up on something being off. That makes total sense, you know, because in, uh, you and I were talking a little about this this morning. You were talking about that documentary about that highlights the differences with, um, like, how work is perceived culturally in Asian cultures as opposed to here. And over here, we really tend to separate the personal and the professional. Mm -hmm. uh, but over there, it's uh, it's almost one. You know, it's like they live to work, and over here we, we work to live. So it makes sense that the employer, the first natural instinct is going to go to, okay, I don't care about the personal. This is affects here. Mm -hmm. uh, but there, that's a really good point for the employer to also, you know, instead of the default to be, you're not doing your job anymore. So right. what can we do to fix that? It's like, hey, what's what's up? What's going on? Is there something that we need to talk about? And I, I, I'm wondering what kind of level of trust that most people feel with their employers that they can go, you know, to their bosses and have that kind of conversation. You know, that's got to be it's got to be kind of kind of a, a roadblock, I would think, in a lot of places. I think so, because um, I tend to see it go kind of one or two of two ways. Either you have an employer that, hey, your work is suffering, and mm -hmm. that's the problem. And unfortunately for a lot of um, victims of domestic violence in that situation, they probably are going to lose that job, yeah. which makes it that much harder for them to leave their uh, violent relationship sure. because now they don't have financial resources. I've also taken a lot of crisis calls where the first person that calls me is the person's supervisor that says, hey, one of my employees is struggling this is what I've directly noticed. Um, I think she's being abused by her partner. What can I do to help? Mm -hmm. okay. And um, those situations I've seen work out 
so much better sure. just for everyone involved. So when the, the supervisor has that personal relationship, mm-hmm. oh, that, yeah, that makes And they can sense. call us. I mean, we provide free services 24-7, so that's what they're there for. You know, that's what we're there for. Okay. I think that there's a perception. You know, it's this is a human resources sort of nightmare, if you will, because it can affect everybody in your organization. So Christy's talked a little bit about the survivors. There's also, and I've talked to a big organization that was um, primarily um, men were employed at this organization, mm-hmm. and and the head of the organization said, "Gosh, you know, we probably have quite a few perpetrators on staff of abuse. You know, men who are abusing their um, partners. So, gosh, how do we deal with that?" And and then on the flip side of it, do we have a space where somebody can step forward and say, "I'm experiencing this," and how do we help them along? Sure. And, and Women's Resource Center, the difference between us and lots of other organizations is we're providing free, confidential services. So anybody can come to us. So I had a guy who's a friend of mine. He's in another um, big job, and he called me up, and he said, God, I think my best friend, there's these signs of abuse. I'm seeing this. And now that I know I've been working with you guys for a while, I kind of know what to look for. Mm. And can I just talk this through with you? And he actually wound up coming in and meeting with an advocate because he was like, I don't know how to deal with this. You know, it's very obvious to me that this guy is abusing his partner. He's one of my best friends. Oh, what do I do? And so um, one of the things that makes us unique as well as a resource center is um, we have a batter intervention program for men and women. And what that is, is if somebody is arrested and charged with domestic violence, the court might order them into one of our programs. So it's a 36-week program for men and women who are charged and, you know, basically convicted of domestic um, violence, and they go through this 36-week program. They have to pay. Um, They show up every week. And it's to help them sort of discover alternative ways to deal with their anger. Okay. Um, So that's pretty unique to us in the state of Michigan. There's not a lot of women's centers who want to associate with perpetration of abuse. Sure. But the directors before me were very forward-thinking and realized that, you know, violence is not a men's or a women's issue. It's a community issue. Oh, sure. It's all of our problems. Sure. And um, so I'm really thankful we have those programs in place. I'm also grateful to Christie's team to be able to have the flexibility to take a call from a CEO um, like Mike, who says, yeah, I think there's something going on. What do I do? Um, as well as a survivor who's in crisis and, and calling on us to help her in that moment. Sure. Well, kind of building on what you were saying, what would be um, a good way for a, uh, a supervisor or just a friend to a- approach uh, the victim? Or is that something that you guys would rather do is approach? Or is there something like, if I know somebody that I suspect is, is, is being victimized, what are some things that I can do, you know, because you, you don't just walk up and say, hey, I think this is going on. I mean, I can't imagine that would help, you know. Yeah. 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 Well, definitely you can always um, call our crisis line okay. first and kind of talk through the specifics of the situation with one of our advocates to kind of help you get prepared for that conversation. Um, I think it's... It's best to, you know, do this in private. You know, you don't want to do this at a staff meeting. <laughs> sure. Kind of, I know. Sometimes yeah. I, I tell people uh, the obvious because yeah. somebody did it. Oh, so. man. Oh, jeez. Um, yeah. Well, here's our sales numbers yeah. for the quarter. By the way, it's like, yeah. oh, huh. Uh, but, you know, I think it's appropriate to say, hey, 
I'm, I'm kind of worried about you, and mm -hmm. here's specifically why, and something that you specifically noticed. Like, your partner calls you 30 times before lunch okay. and seems angry. Are you safe at home? Okay. And just kind of see where that conversation leads. Now, you know, for some people, they're not ready to disclose that. That's just going to be a hard, nope, nope, everything's wonderful, everything's fine. Make sure they know that, hey, well, just so you have this information, mm -hmm. Women's Resource Center is available to help you if you ever do okay. feel like you need help. If they open up and say, yeah, you know, there's some scary things going on at home, um, talking through the problem and making sure that the main focus of it is what does that person want to do about it? Because I know a lot of times when people are trying to intervene and help, the first thing they jump to is, oh, my God, you got to leave today. You have yeah. to leave right now. Yeah, and it's like, well, you, you're continuing to take their agency away from their lives by doing that. You, need, you know, they need to feel empowered. And by saying, I got it, you know, mm -hmm. do this, this, and this, it's like, that's going to, and I could see definitely how that could backfire, mm -hmm. especially if the person, that, they're just trying to help out, but if they're, like, constant, like, it's like, hey, you sure you sure everything's okay? And it's like, well, you know, you're just acting like the perpetrator now. So if this person is going to associate mm -hmm. you, that makes yeah, that makes complete sense. Yeah. Well, and the um, victim in that relationship is the one who's the expert on how dangerous that situation is. Mm -hmm. So if what they're saying is, if I leave today, he's going to go off, and I don't know what he's going to do. Mm -hmm. That's the best predictor of having an escalation of violence. So you want to make sure that the person, when they are ready to leave, you know, they have a safety plan in place, and that's something that we can help them with. Um, you know, they may not be ready to leave for practical reasons, such as I can't figure out a childcare situation yet, and if I leave without that, then I'm going to lose my job because I don't have childcare, which means I'm going to not be able to be in housing. It's just sort of a cascade oh, yeah. of more problems. Um, so respecting the person's agency is really important. Um, but I also think it's important to, to kind of give them that alternative, like that contrast between here's your partner who's saying you have to do X, Y, or Z or I'm going to hurt you mm -hmm. versus you, safe, supportive person who is what do you want to see happen and how can I help you make that happen? Okay. I had a survivor come in the other day, and um, this person was actually donating some items. I, she was unloading them from her car, and I just happened to be getting back to the office. So I said, can I help you, you know, and was carrying bags up, and um, and I talked to her. I said, you know, my name's Juliette. She told me her name, and she came in, and she started asking me about our services, and I was like, I just had a, I had a little feeling on her, and, um, and so I said, do you want to go outside and talk for a minute? I can tell you about what we provide. And, we sat down on the swing and talked about our services, and she disclosed to me that she was a survivor and that she, you know, she felt she needed to donate some things to us in order for her to take advantage of our services. And I said, no, no, no. You know, we have so many members of the community, partners like you guys and others that support us, and that's how we're able to keep doing this. Okay. And I said, would you like to schedule an appointment? You know, we have advocates available. And she said, yeah, I'm not ready. You know, I'm just not ready to do it. And I was like, fine, we're here when you're ready. Sure. You know, and so it's really being aware of where that person is at. One of our philosophies, one of our key guiding uh, guidelines in our empowerment philosophy is everybody has a right to live without fear. Oh, yeah. And Absolutely. so, and that's the key to this. And just, you know, allowing her, it's hard. 
you know, I want to hold her hand, walk her right in sure. there, help her sign up <laughs> yeah, for an appointment. Yeah. That's what you want to do. Sure. And it's like a natural inclination to protect somebody, yeah. uh, especially as a mom. Yeah. And so I just was like, yep, we're here when you need us, you know. Yeah, and it's going to be tough, you know, because it's, you know, like you said, it's like they're going to go back right into the, the lion's den and you don't want that to happen. That's gotta, But, you know, like we were just talking about, could be counterproductive if you try to come on too strong and say no you need to do this and it's like that's not gonna help it's mm -hmm. just what they're experiencing yeah so how is uh how does the community support women's resource center i know there's the store on um the 31 by pizza hut there i am so glad you brought the okay. store up yes yeah, so um the thrift shop has been around for almost as long as we have been around and what people don't know about that is we have a $2 million operating budget. We're a pretty skinny organization. We're a small private nonprofit. And um, $700,000 of our revenue comes from the thrift shop. Wow. And it's a 50% return on investment, meaning if you go spend $2 at the thrift shop, $1 goes right back to the mission. So it's wow. pretty incredible as it relates to sort of supporting our mission. Um, our second funding source is state and federal grants. We have to personally raise about a half million dollars a year from people who donate to us, um, big and large donors, small and large donations. And then we have program fees that come in and that makes up the two million. But the cool thing is, in addition to the thrift shop, the reason I think it's been so successful is because we give back about eight to $10,000 in household goods, clothing, to community members in need. So you don't have to be a survivor to come in and say, I had a house fire. We had a family that came in who had a house fire, and they lost everything. Sure. And they came to the thrift shop and needed to refurnish their new apartment. No problem. Sure. And so my <clears throat> belief is that in that immediate giving back, we just continue to succeed um, as a thrift shop. We're opening another Shop. Oh, really? So that's the big news. We raised nice. the money um, in the last year to do that. We know that's an, it's our path to financial sustainability. When mm -hmm. I walked in, we lost a hundred thousand dollars in scheduled cutbacks from the state of Michigan. They basically just said, "Sorry for your bad luck." And I came from the private sector. I'm like, "Are you guys kidding me? Like, yeah. how does this even happen? What are you doing?" Yeah. You know. So anyway, we knew we had to invest in the thrift shop. We're opening another one. Um, and we're really hoping that that's going to continue us on that path of financial sustainability. But um, we're, we're close to being there because we are now, Thrift Shop is now in the number one position as a revenue source. And when I started, it wasn't. Mm. So um, go donate things to the Thrift Shop. Okay. Know that it's going to go right back into the community um, in some form or fashion. And buy stuff. Sure. We have great stuff at the Thrift Shop. We all shop there. It's a blast. We have lots of men's stuff um, sure. and kids stuff. So, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of curious about something that you said earlier. You said when you came in, there was some mission drift going on. I just wonder what, yeah, oh, how, yeah. how you I'm identified sure. how you identified the mission drift, and then you know, kind of what you did to steady the course. Yeah, it was. We were pretty spread out. We had about we were managing about thirteen state and federal grants. So for us, that was a lot, and, and state and federal grants were our number one funding source. So here we are in this precarious situation with all these grants and all this administration. And some of them related directly to domestic violence, but some of them related directly to housing. And so the board, we went through our strategic planning and said, okay, what 
directly connects to our mission and some related to other unrelated things. And so the board looked at this and said, what directly relates to our mission? And the housing grants that we were receiving, we were actually able to reallocate those to Northwest Michigan Supportive Housing Services. That's what they do all day long. So we were able to say, okay, well, let's save the funding for the community if we can. We know it's important, but are we really the ones who should be administering nearly $100,000 in housing okay. grants? No. Um, it takes our eye off the ball. So we then worked with NMSH to reallocate those grants that was board directed. Um, so there was, once we got our mission sort of refined and we started looking at our programs, the board was making decisions about, gosh, this doesn't fit under our mission and let's figure out where it does fit. And those are hard decisions. Oh, sure. um, as you know, yeah. but it was the amazing part about it was we didn't lose any money. I mean, we were able to sort of save, I say, save the funding within our community for the most part. Hmm. Um, and programs were transitioned um, to where they needed to be outside of the WRC. And um, so that was some hard work in the first two years. But we're there. Good. Now we're mm -hmm. there. We have this super talented team of advocates. The thrift shop is just killing it, thriving. And, um, you know, we're able to direct our attention towards survivors. And um, that's the heartbeat of what we do. Where is the new thrift store gonna go? Well, that's sort of the, the million dollar question <laughs> okay. at this point in time. Um, I will tell you that yesterday we met with some developers that we really like and we have a space that we really like. Okay. Um, but we don't have an agreement in place at this point in time. I anticipate that it's going to be a positive outcome for us. And if that does happen, we'll be opening in the springtime. So sometime okay. February, March, we'll open our second shop. And you'll be the first one to know. Okay, right. <laughs> Pretty great. Um, I had a question about, I'm not real super familiar with uh, the structure of nonprofits. Is the board essentially like the management? Okay. So we have a 15-member board of directors, and they provide financial um, fiduciary management and governance. Okay. That is their role, is to make sure that we're making good financial decisions and that the organization is being governed um, in okay. the right way. And so they are constantly looking at bylaws and investment policies and um, anything related to financial stewardship and governance, they're, they're looking that over. But... We're extremely, I'm very transparent with the board. And so we have committees. We have an internal affairs committee, an external affairs committee. Internals, inward facing programs, financing, things like that. Externals, outward facing, fundraising, um, outreach, things like that. And so we work with these committees to sort of get, you know, basically ask them for their knowledge on issues um, that we're addressing either in the strategic plan um, or opening a thrift shop. We've had lots and lots and lots of meeting of the thrift shop committee, which then rolls right up to our internal affairs committee. And then those committees report to the board. Okay. So we're working, you know, Christy and I and uh, the team are working alongside the board members to basically fulfill the mission. And um, I've never been in an organization where the board was as, as engaged as it is at the okay. WRC. So they, Men and women. Great. So they provide, provide essentially the business leadership and that's where all that stuff happens and then thankfully yes they all have all these we have these experts on our board we have um, 
an attorney, two attorneys, they actually, mm. the firm that they're from, they are one of the uh, premier firms in the country prosecuting campus sexual assaults uh, and hazing. Mm. Yeah. And so they're taking on Big Ten universities. Yeah. And so here we are with these amazing you know, resources yeah. on our board. Um, we have a, um, gosh, we have a retired, a um, lot of, few retired people, uh, former mayor. Mm. So we have a really good makeup um, of folks. We have a couple of fundraisers, which is always mm. important on a board. So Yeah, that sounds like a really good mix. You've got like the legal area covered, the political area covered, the financial area covered. But, I mean, that seems like if you don't have that, even if you're missing one of those areas, it could potentially lead to a lot of issues. Mm -hmm. And when we're a small, you know, when you're a small nonprofit, I mean, you guys are a big organist, big company, um, but you face the same challenges that an organization faces. And sure. so what I love about the board is being able to have these 15 experts. You know, one guy used to oversee a trust department, so he knows everything about investments. And I'm like, all right, uh, <laughs> help me understand how this, you know. And yeah. so it's if somebody wants to give us a gift of stock or, you know, whatever, it's like, okay, I can just call them up and say, I'm not sure what I'm doing. Yeah, can I, you give me some guidance here? And, um, you know, my ego is not here. It's I don't, I don't right. have that issue where I'm embarrassed to ask or I don't, yeah. you know, because I don't know something. And so these people have given me just so much guidance over the years, and I've just been really blessed. And so. you know, that seems to be consistent with the other nonprofits that we've had on. Is, and it's awesome to see that people can put aside their egos and you know work for the, the common good. Because in this, I think in the current cultural and political atmosphere, it's just you know celebrity is worshipped, ego is put on a pedestal, and it's like, that's just, I don't know, to me, that that's going in the wrong direction. And it's like, I think people tend to forget that, um, you know, we're all in this together. There's 320 million people in the country, mm -hmm. and that, like it or not, we all depend on each other. Mm -hmm. And I get that the American culture does focus on individualism, but, and that's fine to a certain point, but when it starts to get really extreme, I think then you start to see this fabric, this social fabric kind of start to fray and fall apart and it's like that's supporting all of us so you know we're all going to go down so that yeah that's yeah, we need to see more of that i think well i think it's what it comes down to is this is not about christy or i right i mean at the end of the day this is not about you it's not about me and and it never has been right you know it's about supporting people when they need it need it the most yeah. it's about the survivors in our case as it relates to our mission and when it becomes about you, it's time for you to move on. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Oh, and, and so it's, right. you know, for me, I would much rather lift the leadership team. There's five members of the leadership team. Christy's one of them. And I'd rather lift them and push them forward. Yeah. Um, and the rest of the staff lift them and help them develop and, and support the mission than be sort of out there waving a flag because yeah. um, it's all of us, you know, that yeah. are doing this work. And, um, I'm glad that you come from that perspective, and I know this company, I knew Terry and Ray, mm -hmm. and the culture that they created was just such a, I was telling Christy, these people are amazing. So the fact that you guys are here is very telling, tells me a lot about you. Good. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, no. I like that graphic. It's, um, it shows like the different, I don't remember what the caption is, but it shows, um, you know, like a team of people pulling our 
carriage or a sled or something, and then there's the guy sitting on top with the whip, but then it shows that same, the second part, the same person in front pulling along with everybody else. And, you know, I think unfortunately we've got, especially in the corporate world, we've got that first graphic that's mm -hmm. just the main political world that has that, and then we just need a lot more of the, of the bottom one, I think for sure. There's a lot of economic inequality, and yeah. you know the root of a lot of our social issues relate to economic inequality. Yeah. Whether it's um, you know people of a variety of um, backgrounds, you know not being paid a fair wage. Yep. So I think that that's something we're all looking at, right? Taking mm -hmm. a hard look at what is what is the role of economic inequality play in our social system, sort of. Yeah, it's, you know, that's interesting because I was, my, my dad's from Europe and he's got a totally different perspective on like politics and economics. And he's saying, he was saying over there where the populations of the countries are a lot more homogenous, you know, racially and everything, the focus is on class, you know, and, and uh, uh, economic inequality. And that's what they consistently are, that's the big social issue is class. Over here, we've got a really mixed population. And so we have, um, uh, a lot of focus on racism, which obviously is an issue, and it's, I don't want to marginalize it against social inequality, but I think unfortunately, uh, the economic inequality, I think unfortunately the economic inequality and the class issues kind of take a back seat to mm -hmm. racism, whereas it should be just as focused on, mm -hmm. you know, because that, to get, I mean, attacking both of those problems would solve a lot more than just attacking one or the other. Agreed. You know. Now, do you, are you the one that writes uh, the grant proposals? Do you? Because I've heard it's a nightmare. Well, it depends <laughs> on the grant, right? Um, so state and federal grants can be a, a, a nightmare. Okay. And when I first started, that was something I had to do. And I'm thankful I got to do it because now I know how to do it. Mm. Um, but it was something that was just unbelievable. And um, we do have a woman named Heather, who's our grant administrator. She primarily writes the majority of the grants. We have a team that reviews the grants. Our chief financial officer reviews for budget, making sure we're all in line. Christy might be a part of that, depending on what it is we're asking for. Um, I think right now we have $202,000 out in grant applications, mm. just local foundations, and another 300000 to the federal government okay. for um, an annual grant application that was submitted. Mm. Done a little bit of work with Have writing grants. Yeah, it's a very uh, specific set of skills that <laughs> yeah. requires, you know, the right personality and, uh, you know, just like anything else, some expertise and practice. I mean, you can't yeah. Yeah. get something so you should really either do or have someone else do. <laughs> exactly find that expert yeah. Is yeah. It, was it a state or a u.s what was what kind of grant was it a federal grant or something no or it was I, um i've worked with my wife on doing some i think it was uh just a few over the years like some for when she was involved with the girl scouts organization i think it yeah. was um and some you know with uh, norte involved in working on yeah you know contributing yeah uh to some of those grants and you know you can tell um the difference between a well-written grant <laughs> and one that maybe isn't as well-written. For sure. I mean, and, you know, uh, the I mean, You know, I've, I've seen some of them, I'm like, wow, that's that's good. Um, and then some of them, I'm like, well, 
that's not gonna. (laughs) This isn't getting anything. (laughs) Yeah, and you know, local grant rating is a lot different than you know for federal, the federal government, and they have all these requirements. Oh, certainly, yes. My experience has mainly been with not not really on on federal. Okay. Yeah. You know. Lucky you. Yes. Is it just how it has to be worded and the information you have to include? Well, it's the requirements, really. I mean, when it comes to like what we're doing is we're providing services to victims of crime. So there's some very you know specific okay. rules of engagement, if you will. Um, we have, everything it has to be kept confidential when you're working with victims of crime. It's yeah. confidential. So our background checks. I mean, we have to meet a specific set of requirements that the federal government says, "Yep, you meet them all." So we're going to go ahead wow. and fund you. Um, so it's very very specific, and we have to prove. That we're meeting all those requirements every yeah, year, so it's a, like yeah, you okay. can't just say it's not a checkbox. Uh, you just say uh, yes, we are. No, they yes, show we up. are, and here's yeah. the proof. Just yes, like we are, Amy, and yeah. here's the proof. And yeah. see addendum, uh, you know, L for the evidence of <laughs> okay. This. So see our, addendum AA two for. Basically, <laughs> our largest federal grant is uh, what we call VOCA, the Victim of Crime Act. Um, and so to give you an idea, VOCA has a 55-page book of regulations of all the things we must and oh. must not do yeah. and be able to document that we did and did not do. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that's fun because yeah. if you, like, we get an, we have an annual audit as well. We always have auditors come in. Sure. But it's basically, you know, the folks from um, the federal government, the state, mm-hmm. come, you know, once a year and they want to make sure, hey, how are you guys managing funds? What are you doing? Yeah. What are your services that you're providing? Are you doing anything that we don't like? Sure. Um, and so it's just making sure that we're meeting those requirements. And we have, and we will continue to meet those requirements. Um, but it is another layer of, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That sounds like something I would definitely not it's want to be part of. <laughs> so I wanted to kind of bust some myths. Um, you know, there's the, um, and I think it relates to... One of the things you sent is this, is this essentially uh, like a cycle of abuse, the power and control wheel? Is that uh, like another name for it, or well, is it different? It kind of works with the cycle of abuse. So uh, the cycle of abuse, and they both come from the Duluth model, which okay. was it came out of uh, the really the first empirical research on domestic violence and what causes it and what's associated with it. Okay. So they found the cycle of abuse kind of fits most abusive relationships, and it's in three phases. So first you have the honeymoon phase, when you first meet someone, and they're just wonderful and polite and on their best behavior and kind of love bombing, Mm -hmm. right? And then you move into the the tension-building phase, which a lot of my clients describe as it feels like they're walking on eggshells. Okay. Like uh, the abuser is very irritable, very short-tempered, kind of critical, and they just they know that something's going to happen. They just don't know when. And then the third phase is the actual violent incident, and that's the point where usually we're called to intervene because that's when victims are most likely to leave. When someone's most likely to call law enforcement or CPS. I think what's unfortunate for the victims in these situations is it's going to roll right back around to that honeymoon phase where, oh, my God, honey, I love you so much. I am so sorry. Uh I'm going to quit drinking. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to get counseling. I'm going to help more with the kids. And abusers can look really good in that honeymoon phase. And for the victim in the relationship, they may think, okay, he's finally changed. Like, I went through all these terrible things with this person in this relationship, but now everything's going to be better. Unfortunately, 
once the abuser feels like their victim is kind of hooked back into that relationship, it's going to go right back around attention building and then another incident. So the power and control wheel kind of fits into that cycle of abuse as far as the specific tactics that abusers use okay. to control their partner. Okay, so this is kind of like a, a support document with the mm-hmm. cycle of abuse. So that's maybe more of a broad description of the overall relationship. And yeah. then this is kind of like, well, this is kind of what to look out for within that, that cycle. Yeah. Okay. Different abusers um, may use different tactics. For example, some abusers n- never use physical violence. Okay. And I think part of that is uh, they tend to be uh, more savvy about the legal system and the consequences of that. Okay. Because a lot of things on that wheel, other than physical violence, are not actually illegal. They are abusive and harmful, but it's not illegal to, you know, gaslight your partner and isolate them from friends and family. It's not illegal to restrict how your spouse accesses your bank account but it's still abusive and harmful. Basically, being a jerk isn't a crime yet, unfortunately. <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, one of the, obviously, the most common myth is, why doesn't she just leave? So what well, is the, the answer to that? Well, if it was that easy, you know, Women's Resource Center and all the organizations like mm-hmm. us wouldn't need sure. to exist. Um, there's a lot of reasons why a victim doesn't leave immediately. Um, one of the biggest ones you can't ignore is the financial, it, and especially if, let's say, the abuser has talked their partner into, oh, you know what, you stay home with the kids and I'll take care of all the bills, and then cuts off their access to finances. Okay. You've got a resume gap. You've got access to no money. You have no credit. How do you just up and leave? Right. Um, and, uh, many times, no car. No car. Oh, yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah how? Like, how are they going to leave? With what? Yeah, that's good. good yeah, and, you know, for a lot of my clients, they're like, look, I'll live in a cardboard box if I have to, but my kids can't live that way. Okay. So for their thinking, it's, yes, this situation is bad, but I don't want my kids to suffer because I left. They may fear that they're going to lose custody of their kids. And unfortunately, I have seen that happen where my client, who was uh, – the documented victim of a violent crime lost custody of her children to the perpetrator of that crime because the family court judge in those cases took the opinion that the domestic violence doesn't affect the kids. Dad has the income and the family home and mom is living in a shelter so dad's Mm -hmm. situation is more stable. Was this in the 40s or was this recently? That blows my mind. This has been in my career like recently. That's amazing. Yeah. that that judge had that opinion. It was more than once, yeah. Okay. And it's, I think, too, just to keep in mind that, you know, domestic violence affects one in four women in her lifetime. That's a lot if that you is. look around the room. Next time you're in a meeting with a lot of yeah. women, just think about it. And it's it's the most lethal time when she leaves. That's when she's most at risk, okay. right? Yeah. So she comes into our shelter. You know, we have had women who's um, abusers track them mm-hmm. and into the shelter, and we had to relocate them. Mm-hmm. You know, for their own safety and for the safety of the guests who are living at the shelter. So it's a really um, very insidious um, social issue and um, one that has a lot of different dynamics. But, you know, the most important part is, um, you know, not necessarily to ask why didn't she leave, but 
how can I support her in this moment? Sure. You know, and just being there for somebody to talk to you and tell you their story. And like the woman I sat with the swing, you know, on with the swing, um, right. she wasn't ready. No. And, and that's okay. And we've had a woman with five kids who came into the shelter. She was living in her car to get away from her abuser. So that's, thank goodness, you know, we have the ability to welcome people in. And so, yeah, yeah we shelter about 200 moms and kids every year. Oh, okay. Wow. Um, in your experience, how effective are restraining orders? Because I know that's a, a le- obviously a legal option, mm-hmm. but I've also heard statistics that, well, that's really, may not be as effective as people think. It, it's definitely not a one-size-fits-all okay. solution. Um, you know, in Michigan, they're called uh, PPOs, Personal Protective Orders. And yes, in some cases, that can be effective in helping someone stay safe from a violent partner. Um, typically, that's if that partner respects the law and the consequences that can come from violating it. So yes, if it's someone who already has a criminal record, doesn't really care about the consequences, it can actually escalate them because the abuser might see it, how dare she? Uh You're gonna send the law on me? Okay. So that's one of those things that we always talk about with our clients. Like, hey, you know, one of your options is you can file for a PPO. Let's talk about what that looks like do you think that would be helpful for you? And yeah, I've had some clients who are like, absolutely, yes, I want to do that because okay. I know that he'll leave me alone because he doesn't want to lose his job. And I've had right. other clients that are like, he's already got two warrants from other counties, so like this is pointless. This isn't yeah. do it's just a piece of paper yeah. anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So in your, also in your experience, what are some other myths that you've come across that you want to kind of bust? Um, that there's a certain type of victim like a certain type of person that becomes okay. a victim, that they're weak or um, anything like that. Um, I have met women from literally all over the world um, of every race and ethnicity, every religious background, every economic background. There is no one thing I can think of that all of these clients I've worked with have in common other than their partner was abusive because their partner chose to be mm-hmm. abusive. No typical victim, basically. Yeah. Okay. I know that's one thing I get. I'm also a survivor of domestic violence. And um, when I speak about it publicly, sometimes I'll get someone that comes up to me afterwards and is like, well, I just don't understand how someone, you know, you come across as very feisty. <laughs> oh, and, yeah. and I'm like, yeah, I know. Well, I get that a lot. Um, but the thing is that that isn't what caused the abuse. It wasn't anything that had to do with me. Mm-hmm. It was because... That was who he is and yep. the choices that he made. Okay. Over time, have or as long as you guys have been involved with, with this, um, have you noticed a trend towards the positive or negative? Is the problem getting worse? Is it getting a little better? I mean, obviously, your experience is within this area. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, what trends have you noticed? I think we're seeing an increase in reporting. Oh, good. Which I do think is good. I don't think that there is been an explosion in domestic and sexual violence. I think more people are comfortable coming forward and reporting it in a shorter time frame, which is good. Um, I think more people are open to listening to that and understanding, okay, yes, this is a problem in our community. Um, Still some holdouts out there that Mm -hmm. are like, oh, you know, you just can't even say anything to a woman these days or Mm -hmm. that type of thing. we're seeing increase in reporting from men too, which I also think is positive. Because sure. even though 
the majority of our clients are female. There are still male victims out there, and they also deserve support. Um, I think we we might be on the cusp of kind of a, a great societal change that's been needed. Um, it's something I've been seeing just in my career because of things like the Me Too movement. Oh, okay, I was going to ask about that. There you go. Yeah, we definitely, every time there's a, a national news story, you know, an R. Kelly, a Bill Cosby, Brett Kavanaugh, we see a spike in calls to really? our crisis line. Oh, yes. And a lot of times those are from women who may have been assaulted 10, 15, 20 years ago. Sure. And a lot of times how that conversation goes is, you know, I was watching the news and I saw this on the news and I was assaulted 20 years ago by, you know, my youth pastor or my soccer coach or my uncle and I can't stop thinking about it. I never told anyone. Mm. So I, we're seeing, it's kind of a two-track with the historical, with women who've never felt they had the safe space to report in the past. And now we're seeing a spike in same calls over at Munson for women who have just been assaulted in the past 72 hours and are reporting it immediately. Okay. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, there is an awareness. I think there is definitely, you, you know, we're all sort of nodding our heads, but there is such a greater awareness. When I started at, at the Resource Center six years ago, um, the community, the members of the community, didn't really want to talk to me about this topic. Hmm. I mean, it was not something anybody wanted to talk about. Sure. And what I see now is, a t- like she was saying, there's this trend toward we know this is happening. We know it's happening. It's in the media. It's everywhere. We're seeing a football player punch his, you know, fiance in the face on video. I mean, hello. You know, yeah. it's it's out there. And so when those types of um, violent attacks happen, it brings attention to organizations like us in a way that can be very positive. Okay. Um, that people start having a di- they have a way to dialogue about this. There's like a you know, a language that you can use and you can start sort of adopting and saying, oh my gosh, you know, this just should not be happening. And what happened to him? Mm-hmm. What happened sure. to him, yeah. you know, that that created that anger in him in such a way that he lashed out? Because typically an abuser isn't going to go from sort of being Mr. Nice to punching someone in the face overnight. There's, right. there's, there's a process. There's a history. Of, right? Yeah, and so I think it. that that language and the you know adult childhood experience, the ACEs study and, and people being aware of uh, trauma, childhood yeah. trauma and how that affects us, there's a whole new language that we're talking, you know, just in the last six, ten years. Sure, yeah. So. And was it, uh, I think the Big Brothers, Big Sisters that brought up the ACEs. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, yeah, I think that's that's so interesting how... Um, I, I agree. I see this kind of, I don't know if you want to call it a awakening or something to uh, the fact that, you know, human behavior is a result of a lot of things. I think a lot of people think that, well, they were just born like that. You know, they were born to be an abuser. And it's like, well, I don't really know about that. I mean, to me, that's like saying, well, someone was just born racist. It's like, no, this was taught. Mm-hmm. And while, you know, abusive behavior isn't necessarily taught like this is how you do it. It's <laughs> kind of well, yeah. that's, you know, that's a good. <laughs> kind point. of, if, yeah. if, if, it's like an apprenticeship. Lead yeah. by example. Right. Oh, that's yeah. a good point. So if they see, you know, if a, a boy sees their father act that way, yeah, okay, I see your point. Yeah, it, it is taught essentially. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, and but then there's a traumatic event or something like that. Maybe there's PTSD or something involved. And I think the more that we realize, and it's not an excuse. 
because I think a lot of people say, well, you can't just write off criminal behavior or that kind of stuff by saying, well, this, this is why they did it. It's like, I'm not writing it off. They, they committed the act, and that consequence needs to be applied. But if we can explain it, then maybe we can treat it and you know, move forward with that. I'm not saying they're not criminals. I'm not saying that they didn't break the law. But the more we understand it through neuroscience and behavioral uh, research and everything like that, the more we understand it, you know, maybe we can nip it in the bud, you know, and see early on, you know, with uh, big brothers and big sisters, if they can provide positive adult role models, then that may, that person may not grow up to be an abuser. And before, you know, decades ago, we didn't make that link, we didn't make that connection. Yeah, it's a, it's a, the cycle of abuse is generational for sure, and it's a choice, right? Sure. So they say that it takes three generations to break the cycle of abuse. Oh, really? To make that choice to not continue on in that direction, you know, as a perpetrator of abuse. And when you think about habits, like the habits that you have, and, yeah. and you know, I see a Coke on your table here. You have a Coke habit or a Diet Coke habit. And, <laughs> you know, okay, well, how long would that take you to break that habit? Sure. Probably a while. Sure. You know, and so it's... Um, I think that we are, we're a crisis agency. We're an, we're an agency right. responding to people in crisis. We're the emergency, um, we're the landing pad for women and kids who need a safe place to go. Okay. Um, but there's a lot more that needs to happen upstream from the prevention standpoint yeah. in, or, in order for us to not be in business anymore. Mm-hmm. And um, that would be a beautiful thing. Um, <laughs> I, you yeah. know, I hope to see it in my lifetime. I just don't know if I'll live that long. Yeah. No, I think it, it's definitely, and you can even kind of, it's funny, you can see it in the insurance companies where, or health insurance companies where we're moving more towards prevention and, and you know, proaction instead of reaction. Because mm-hmm. now all kinds of preventative services are covered 100%, no questions asked. And they're finally figuring out that, yeah, if you keep people healthy, it's going to cost you less in the long run. Mm-hmm. I think that applies to society as well. If we focus on, you know, keeping people physically and mentally healthy to begin with, then we're not going to have some of these issues later. At least they'll they'll go down. Hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> so kind of as we're wrapping up, how can people get a hold of the Women's Resource Center? Well, we have an 800 um, number that's answered 24 hours a day. That's 1-800-554-4972. We okay. do have a Facebook page. Um, it's not a... It's not a Facebook doesn't stand in for 911, so if somebody's in crisis, they need to call 911 always. Um, But we do respond to um, inquiries on our Facebook page, and we have a website, womensresourcecenter.org. And um, hopefully someday we'll have text response. We're looking at different ways to sort of enhance our services at this moment, and and we've got a couple of focuses, but text is sort of a long-term discussion we've been having. So, uh, again, we're here 24-7. Um, you know, advocates are answering the phones, so a survivor in crisis can talk to somebody. A business owner who wants to find out about how to support a staff member can talk to somebody in person or on the phone at any point in time. Okay. Well, we'll make sure and we'll put that uh, all that contact information in the intro and in the show notes as well. So thank you. People don't have an excuse to. <laughs> Well, I didn't know the number. Yeah, you, Not reach you out. heard it. You read it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, you guys. Sorry. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Thanks for thanks for coming in. Pleasure to be yeah. here. Yeah. Yeah. You guys, have anything Pretty else? No. Yeah. All right. Thank you so yeah. much. We appreciate thank it. Thank you. It I'm going to leave you with these little things. These are like mirror yeah. clings. You can put them on the mirrors uh, okay. in your restrooms. Oh, okay. They can be peeled off too if you want to. 
um, but just sure. to remind people that we're there. Right. And I'm going to send you, Paul, but if you could get it to these two gentlemen, it's an article called Out of the Shadows. It's the human resources side of violence. Oh, okay. And so it really goes into detail about how organizations are dealing with domestic violence internally. Um, because oh. what can happen for you is you have somebody who's a survivor her perpetrator is going to stalk her to work, there could be a situation that you have to deal with. So not knowing, you know, not addressing, not knowing, not providing her with the resources that she needs, the support she needs, can lead to an escalated event, you know, that you don't want to be dealing with. Sure. Um, so this article, for me, it's very hard to read, um, but it's very enlightening from the human resources standpoint. And if you ever wanted support um, and sort of, knowing, okay, like we would like you to come in and talk to our staff and let them know that Women's Resource Center is here so that survivors can come directly to you, um, we're happy to do that. So I'll just send that sure. article Great. to you. Yep. Okay. Thank you. Thanks, sure. guys. All right. Thank you. That was, that was fun. Yes, it yeah. was. Yeah. Nice meeting you. That was good. Yeah. Nice to meet you. Have a good Gentlemen. Yes. Nice, nice to, to meet, meet you. you. Thank you. Yep. Thanks so much.